0: Thank you, Tina. Thank you for that warm welcome. Um, Before I begin, uh, why don't we say a word of prayer? Would you guys join me in that? Hey, God, thanks for this space. Um, Thanks for this space to come together with friends, maybe to make some new friends, to meet some people. Um, Thanks for this uh, this space to be able to sing some songs, sing some truths about who you are, about what we believe about you, about how you're uh, working in our lives and in this world and to be reminded of how good you are um, and how good it is for us to praise you for your goodness. And I thank you for your word and pray that, um, Lord, as we spend a few minutes here looking at a story from, uh, from your word of, of actual events that uh, one of your good friends chose to write down so that, so that we could read about it 2,000 years later and be encouraged by it. I pray that that's what would happen, we would just be encouraged and we would find hope for our lives and for whatever we're facing and dealing with right now. It's in your name we pray, amen. So uh, what I'm going to teach tonight, some of you may have heard if you were on caravan, and I just figured, and and this is uh, with some conversation with your leaders as well, that Maybe this is a really good time to be reminded about some of the things that we talked about on Caravan. And for those of you who who weren't there, um, I hope that you'll find some encouragement uh, from this teaching as well. Uh, Sixteen years ago, one of my closest friends, one of my best friends and running partner, Grant Wheeler, was killed just about a mile from here on Highway 58. He had turned to head over to that gas station up on Viking Road. He was on his way to get gas and get a Gatorade, and then head up to Minneapolis to run the Twin Cities Marathon that weekend. And uh, I'd had lunch with him earlier that day. Uh, In fact, I'd I'd eaten with a bunch of friends, and uh, it was something that we did regularly on Fridays. And I'd also trained with him as he'd been training for this marathon. We ran like every Friday night, and on those nights, we'd run a lot of miles, and we'd talk a lot to each other about our families, about our struggles, about what we were celebrating, uh, what our, um, you know, concerns were, and we'd pray for each other. And uh, it was just a really deep friendship that I shared with Grant. And I remember, uh, like having this out-of-body experience when I was paged at the Unidome to call home. I was up at a Cedar Falls football game and I get the page and I walk out on the concourse and my wife tells me Grant has been killed in a car accident. And I remember like, like I was just floating above myself. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, like floating above myself looking down and I was just frozen as life is just carrying on all around me and just, just moving as people are walking by me and, and around me i just lost my friend. Life had changed forever. Dreams ended for Grant, for his wife, for their two kids. Why do bad things happen to good people? And what do we do when horrible things like this happen to, uh, to us or to good people around us? What happens to our faith, those of us who are following Jesus, who are believing God to be good, what happens to our faith in God when bad things like this happen? I think every one of us at some point in our lives will hit a wall in our faith, whether it's something bad that happens in our lives through events and circumstances uh, or, or people or questions come up in our lives, we'll hit a wall where we'll wonder whether we can continue believing that God is good, or trusting God. And one of those times is when bad things happen to good people. Or maybe it's something else, like, like you know, you're wanting God to fix somebody in your life, and God just isn't showing up to fix that person. Or maybe there's a health concern, maybe uh, a family member has gotten uh, cancer, or maybe your parents have gotten divorced, or your mom or dad have, have failed you. Why isn't God doing more to help me right now in this moment? I've, had, I've been asking for help over and over and over again. Why isn't God moving more quickly to help me in this situation? Every one of us wrestles with doubts in our faith and experiences times when we want to believe but we don't know if we can keep believing and trusting God is good. He just seems so absent from us. I think of some of you who were on caravan, and it's like been two and a half months now since, since we were on that trip, and now you find yourself right back in the same rut, in the same broken relationship or the same broken situation that you found yourself in before we went on that trip. And so some of you are thinking what happened on like a caravan wasn't real, or you know, there's a the whole caravan high and it just, it just faded. And I just want to remind you that I don't believe in a caravan high. I believe that if you were on that trip and you had maybe one of the best weeks of your life, you experienced something there, I think you encountered Jesus. And you encountered the good life that He promises to give to us. But if you were expecting that goodness and that, and that high, in Jesus to last forever, or that high in anything else to last forever, you're going to be disappointed in whatever that is, whether it's God, or whether it's something else, or it's yourself. Because bad things do happen to good people, and sometimes we hit ruts we just can't get out of. But didn't Jesus invite us to a full life, to an abundant life? Yes, he did, and I believe that encounters of this goodness, tastes of this goodness prove that. Jesus says, "I, I promise to bring you a life to the full. We get glimpses of his kingdom coming into our lives like little outposts along the way. Necessary, a momentary, very real reminders of what is yet to come and the work that he's doing in our world. He brings this promise of abundance life, both here and now, and yet not yet. It will be realized in full in eternity. In the meantime, though, our lives on earth are lived out in the midst of a violent spiritual war. We have to remember this. So in between these outposts, in between these tastes of God's goodness and his kingdom, between life and death, when bad things happen to us or to other good people, we need a faith that helps us and encourages us empowers us to fight for that good life that jesus is trying to bring to us and that also helps us remember that god is fighting with us and fighting for us and for that good life one of the stories i think that helps us in this regard is uh, found in uh, the book of john in chapter 11 and i encourage you uh pull out your bible if you have one if you don't i think there's some other bibles available and um our people will help you get one in your hands. We just think that there's no better way to, to encourage our faith, to strengthen our faith than engaging the Bible, actually looking at what this word says. Um, this is actually the fourth gospel, so it's in the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and um, if you get to the book of Acts, you've gone too far, so come back, at John chapter 11. And just, this, is like, this is a true story. John was actually one of Jesus' best friends, and he wrote down this historical account of Jesus' life, and he tells us this story. He's one of Jesus' closest friends, and the story begins, actually, when these two sisters, Mary and Martha, send word to Jesus that their brother, whom Jesus loves, is very, very sick. And the truth is, is Jesus actually loves both, uh, all of them, all, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, all of them. And uh, in fact, they hung out at Martha's house. Martha, sounds like I'm lisping. Martha's house, and uh, and they hung out there all the time. And so, this is where uh, the story begins here in chapter 11. I'm going to start in verse 4. It says, um, Martha and Mary had just sent word to Jesus that their brother is sick. It says in verse 4, when when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. If you have your own Bible, if you have a Bible that's been given out to you, we encourage you to take that Bible home. You can keep that Bible. I want to encourage you right now to underline those words in that Bible that says, not end, or not end in death. Okay, we're going to come back to this. This is going to be a very important part. But uh, the story continues. And it says, uh Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. Does that sound confusing to anybody else? Like, does that sound like the actions of a person who loves these people? I'm going to stick around here. You know, I love you, Lazarus. I know you're sick, but, you know, I'll come in a couple of days, and we'll check in on you. I remember my freshman year of college, one of my good friend's fathers passed away, dropped dead on University Avenue, just boom. And uh, I was over in Ames at the time. You want to talk about bad things happening to good people, a freshman in Ames, that's a bad thing, happening to good people. Sorry. Uh, I transferred to Iowa, graduated from Iowa. Go Hawks. Uh, no, so... Sidebar there. So my friend, his dad has, has died. It, it didn't take me two days. It took me like an hour or two, and I was back in Cedar Falls because I loved my friend. I wanted to encourage my friend. I want to encourage their family. Jesus, John says that Jesus, it wasn't one or two hours. It wasn't a day. Jesus says, let's stay here for two more days. He stays two more days before he goes to see his friend Lazarus because he loved them. Does that make any sense to anybody? Well, we have to read on. Jesus gives us a hint that this is going to be about his Father's glory. And then in verse 17, Jesus arrives at Martha and Mary's house, and on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days. Lazarus isn't just kind of dead. Right? Like, he is really dead. The worms have been eating at his body for four days already, right? Just, he's dead in the ground. What are his disciples thinking? Jesus had just told them that this sickness is not going to end in death. Was he just telling them what they wanted to hear? Did he, did he lie to them? Couldn't he have come sooner and actually saved his good friend Lazarus? Evidently not, because, like we said, Lazarus isn't just kind of dead, he's really dead, and this is bad. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary were good people, they were good friends of Jesus. Imagine what they were going through ever since they sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick, right? They have no idea what Lazarus is sick with. They can only see him getting worse and worse day by day. They have no medicine. They have no way to comfort him, you know, give him something that eases the pain or whatever it is that he's going through. All they know is that he's sick and he's getting worse. And they can only keep reassuring him, hey, we sent a messenger to Jesus, Jesus loves you. As soon as he gets that message, you know he's coming as soon as he can to heal you and to make you better. We've seen him do this over and over again. Don't worry. Jesus is coming. But Jesus doesn't come, at least not in time. And a bad thing happens to some really, really good people. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever asked God for some help? Ever asked him to show up? Maybe you needed a friend, maybe you needed a miracle, maybe you needed something, and you're just praying and praying over and over again. And then the worst thing you were expecting actually happens, it comes true, because you didn't get the help you were expecting or or, or desperate for from Jesus. What did you do? What happens to your faith? in a time like this I want you to look back at those words that we circled that we underlined That said this will not end in death and I want you to notice what Jesus doesn't say right there Jesus does not say that Lazarus is not going to die he doesn't say that the sickness won't result in him dying he says it will not end in death death is not going to have the final word in lazarus life here and he goes on to tell them this sickness is going to be used to reveal the glory of god right now now i'm thinking the glory of god better be pretty darn good because this is pretty darn bad so Martha hears that Jesus is coming into town, and she rushes out to greet him. And in verse 21, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Is she angry with Jesus, do you think? Disappointed, at least? I mean, we hear a hint of that, right? If, if you'd have come sooner, my brother would still be alive. What took you so long, she's saying, it seems like. And at the same time, listen to this affirmation Of who Jesus is and what Jesus is able to do. Because she's also saying, if you'd have been here, you could have done something. You have the power to heal people. We've seen you do this so many times for other people you barely even knew. You could have done this for someone you loved so much. We've seen you do crazy things. And it's hard to know what the tone is that Martha is using when she comes to Jesus. But I think she is both expressing her grief and disappointment as well as her faith in Jesus. She knows that God gives Jesus what he asks for and that Jesus has this close relationship with God and that's enough for her to be able to come and be honest with him about her disappointment and grief and also to declare her faith in Jesus. And then she says this great statement in verse 22 says you know my my brother would still be alive and she says but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask why don't you circle even now or underline even now whatever it is to, to to remember this Martha says I know that even now even though my brother is dead it all seems lost God is going to give you, Jesus, whatever you ask. So is she asking Jesus to to bring her brother back to life, do you think? she raise him from the dead? I don't think she is. I don't think a resurrection, and from a conversation that's earlier in in this chapter, you can read for yourselves, I don't think that that was really in her sphere of reality any more than it's in our sphere of reality. We just don't see people raised back to life on a regular basis here, and neither did they. I think what she's saying is that even now, Jesus, I trust you, I trust that you're good. I trust that God will give you what you ask for and that you will give us what we need to see us through this difficult time and this grief and this pain that we're experiencing. Even when I'm deeply disappointed and hurting Jesus, I'm gonna come to you because you have what I need to see me through. And you know, Jesus, and God knows better what we need than we know ourselves what we need, and he will provide it. And Jesus taught us to pray, and he taught us the Lord's Prayer, and part of that prayer says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think that's part of what Martha is saying. She's saying, Lord, your will be done. And she doesn't expect life to be somehow miraculously removed of all hardship and struggle. She knows that disappointments And hard things are a part of life. But she trusts that Jesus will provide what she needs even now in the midst of her disappointment. Do you have an even now kind of faith? What about in the midst of your disappointment and your heartbreak, brokenness, life changing circumstances? Do you cling to an even now kind of faith? Or are you, like, clinging to this hope that, that life's just going to be problem-free? It's a myth, right? It's, it, it's a problem-free life is not a reality. It's a false hope. Jesus even promised us, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And Martha, I think we could take a lesson from her. Instead of putting our hope in a perfect life, maybe we should put our hope in the perfect one And bring our disappointments and our hurt and an even now faith to jesus jesus sees this faith and he says to her in verse 23 your brother will rise again and that leads to this whole conversation about the resurrection and when it's going to happen and and you can read all that and then Martha runs and tells her sister Mary that, "Hey, Jesus has come." and Jesus runs, or Martha runs out, or Mary runs out and falls at Jesus' feet and she's crying, and she says the exact same thing Martha has just said, that if you'd have been here earlier, our brother would still be alive. And both of these women who knew and loved Jesus didn't hesitate to run to Jesus in their darkest moments and express their hurt as well as their faith. This is what an even now faith looks like. Paul, actually, who had his own miraculous encounter with Jesus, defines faith for us in the book of Hebrews, and he says this is what it is. It's the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see or what we have not seen yet. So much of what God is doing in our lives, even and especially in the midst of hard times, we don't know what he's up to. We haven't seen the outcome yet. Will we keep believing and trusting That he's good and he's going to bring a good outcome to us. And you see, I don't think we can cultivate or generate this kind of faith on our own. This is a gift from God that if we ask for it, he will give us this faith. And if we will spend time regularly with Jesus and we'll talk to him and we'll share our hurts and disappointments and, and cling to his promises, he will build this into an even now kind of faith in our lives. Most of what God has promised us has yet to happen. And yet we think about all the blessings in our lives. You think about the friendships and the life he's given you and the gift of creation. And you think about the laughter and fun and friends and, and food. Like I had a couple of beef sticks today. Oh, my gosh. It's been so long since I've had a beef stick. They were so good. It's like, well, maybe you don't like beef sticks. I, I thought they were heavenly. So, I mean, these are just good gifts everywhere that he's given us. And yet how much more is there to come? It's amazing. Martha and Mary have faith, but they could not have possibly understood what was about to happen. And uh, Mary's in tears at Jesus' feet, and so are the Jews who have come to comfort her. And uh, we pick up the story down in verse 33. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied, and Jesus wept. There's so much in these just few lines, but what I want you to do is I want you to underline deeply moved in spirit and troubled. I read those words. Now, what does that mean? Jesus was deeply moved and troubled in spirit. So I picked up a couple of translations. In the message, it says this. It says, uh, a deep anger welled up in Jesus. Like, Anger? Who's he angry at? What's he angry about? And I read a little bit more about what's the Greek word here that's, that's being used in all of this. Listen, it's the Greek word that's being used for this deeply uh, moved and spirit and troubled is a word that's used to describe the snorting of animals, that deep guttural growl when they are angry and they're ready to defend or attack. It's the same noise my dog makes. When it thinks it hears somebody outside or an animal outside, it's just just that deep. He's ready to attack. He's ready to defend. Jesus is mad. See, this whole chapter is about life. It's about God's life. It's about God bringing his life to us. In fact, just before chapter 11 is is the promise I talked about in chapter 10 where Jesus promises fullness of life, but right before that he says that there is a thief in this world who comes to uh, steal, kill, and destroy life, but I have come to give you life to the full. And Jesus is ticked off at the enemy in the midst of this violent spiritual war who comes to rob us of the life that God is trying to bring to us, and he's ready to attack anything that tries to rob us of this life. The most important thing is for Jesus to to show us the glory of God. The glory of God is God's goodness and his power and his love at work for us, his life. And the truth is we all face death all the time when you think about it. Whether it's physical death, maybe you're not worried about dying today, but maybe it's a a family member who's, who's recently died or who is struggling. Maybe it's depression. It's robbing you of a fullness of life or anxiety. We face emotional and spiritual and psychological death. We face death of relationships, death of dreams, maybe a death of, of, of a parent's marriage. We're no longer living with a with parent that we really love. Jesus is angry at all of these things that rob us of life. But Jesus reminds us it's not going to end here. And he says to you and me the same thing that he says to Martha, trust me. He says, trust me, because did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? That's verse 40. Circle that a couple times. Did I not tell you if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Martha had told him, listen, I have faith that God will give you Your Father will give you anything you ask for. I believe that's true. She didn't know that Jesus was God in the flesh. She just knew Jesus was really close to God, and that was enough for her. She said, I want to see the glory of God. And Jesus says, I want you to see that. If you keep coming back to me, keep believing in me, keep trusting me in the darkest moments, you will see this. Finish up the story here. So Jesus goes to the tomb, and he says, uh, it says they took away the stone in verse 41. And Jesus looked up, and he prayed to his father. And then it says that Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary And had seen what jesus did believed in him you think put yourself there imagine this dead man jesus calls into a grave he's been dead for four days and this dead man comes walking out of the grave what just happened right i think you're going to maybe believe this guy a little bit more and he says go See that it's real. Take off the strips of the limb. See that it's really him. You know, go touch him, go, you know, go set him free. And you're like, uh-uh. Right? I've, I've seen Walking Dead. I've seen what happens next. Jesus is just laughing at all of this. Because he knows how the story ends. And you're in shock. This is the glory of God. His power, not just to wake us up from sleep, but to, to, to raise us up from the dead and to give us new life. So why isn't he helping me now? Why am I not experiencing that life right now when I'm so desperate for it and I'm asking for it and I've been waiting for it for so long? You know, I, I don't know. Some of you are hurting, some of you are in some really difficult situations and you've been waiting and waiting and I don't know why you're not getting the help you need right now. I don't know what's delaying that. I have some thoughts on that, that's another talk. But maybe it shows up in ways we're not expecting. One quick story, this summer my dad came to stay with us. Uh, my dad has dementia, he's been fighting it for about 10 years and it's recently gotten pretty bad. He's, he's um, uh, in a home now actually um, and he needs constant supervision. And so I spent most of my time that week at home. Um, he doesn't recognize my son Eli, he doesn't recognize, uh, he recognizes me maybe about two thirds of the time and it's, he doesn't isn't really able to carry on much of a conversation most of the time, and um, so one of the days we moved outside, um, and he's hanging out and we're drinking a coke, and my dog's out there, and he just he seemed to be less restless when we were outside on the deck and and just kind of hanging out, and we actually started having a little bit of a conversation, and and uh, we started talking about fishing because that's what my dad and I love to do together, and he'd take me fishing every summer. I think I have a picture of him fishing maybe with with Lewis when Lewis was little, and, um, and, and he says all of a sudden, as we're talking about fishing, he says, you know, I, th- I think I used to own a boat. And I said, and he goes, do I, do I still have a boat? And I said, no, you, you sold the boat, Dad. And he goes, well, why did I do that? I said, well, you, you know, you weren't using it anymore. He's like, you don't need to use a boat to own a boat. <laughs> and he laughs at his own joke, you know, we kind of laugh about that. And, and I said to him, I said, hey, you remember that time you almost sunk the boat. You, you put it in the water, and you launched it without the drain plug in the back of the boat, and it starts filling up with water. And then you left me there in the boat while you ran to get the truck and the trailer to back it back in so you could pull it out and get the water out of it. And he just starts laughing, just laughing up the storm. And then he raises his hands in the air, and he says, The great outdoorsman, for a few precious moments, I had my dad back just for a couple of minutes, I had to share the life of my dad. He was back. And then it was gone. That was the glory of God. It didn't last forever. My dad wasn't permanently healed despite all the prayers I've prayed for that over and over again. But for a few short moments, I got to experience The glory of God on the deck in my backyard. A taste of what's yet to come in full when we're in heaven together someday. And our revival is made complete in every single way. What have you decided to trust Jesus' promises? What have you decided to reflect on all he's done in your life? What have you decided to to read his promises and claim these promises for yourself that this is going to happen? And even in the midst of your darkest moment, to sit and reflect and think about these promises and cling to this faith and say, Jesus, I need you, and to keep waiting until God shows you his glory. What might that look like in your life? I'm not going to settle for short term solutions or quick fixes but I'm gonna sit right here, even when the night's holding on to me, and I'm gonna wait for your glory, God, and keep trusting in that promise. Didn't I tell you that if you keep believing, you will see the glory of God? Let's pray. Now, this is hard for us. Um, Lord, so much happens in our lives, and um, sometimes you know, we just don't know what you're up to. Uh, we don't even know you. We don't even know what your promises are god i um i think you are worth exploring you are worth uh investigating if, if what if even half of what this book says about you is true boy it's worth knowing it's worth leaning into and you are worth following so i pray that Lord, to those of us who maybe don't know you that well we would take a step and say you know what this glory of god thing sounds a heck of a lot better than than what i'm experiencing now this this full life thing is something I really would love. And then to, to get with people and walk with them into that life and to see what that looks like. And then, Lord, as we do that, and those of us who are in hard times, that we would just, you would give us the faith and the strength to keep holding on. We would catch glimpses of you fighting with us and for us. Your presence would be enough for us. Lord, that, that we would hang on and that we would see your glory. Lord, I pray that you would make this true in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Yeah.